0: So it's, it's never a bad thing when you have more scripture in the, in the liturgy. So I will, um, but you do have a little bit more than we needed you to have today. So uh, the passage today is um, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 20. I will read verses 8 through 20. So join me in the second paragraph. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves mercy will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase those who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer whether he eats little or much but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep there's a grievous evil that i have seen under the sun riches were kept by their owner to his hurt and those riches were lost in a bad venture and he is and he is father of a son but he has nothing in his hand and as he came from his mother's womb he shall go again naked as he came And shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there for him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold... This is the word of the Lord.
1: I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and I want to just thank those who've worked with this Roots Initiative. And what you saw this morning is the work of a lot of people. Um, that video was done by our very own Emmy award-winning producer Linda Otzenberger. She don't like me to talk about the Emmys, but when I go to her house and I see that gold thing, I'm like, for real. So, Linda, thank you so much. None of this would have been able to be done by. None of this would have happened without our whole Roots um, team. Um, This is people who are taking time out of their schedule and volunteered to do what they do professionally for money, for free, for the church, um, for God's service. If you're part of that uh, Roots campaign, could you just stand up today? Um, Go ahead and stand up. It's all right. Um, from, from setting up the events um, to crafting the words to putting the brochure together to standing and videotaping everything to, I mean, everything you see coming out has been done by people who are part of Christ Central Church in some way or another. So it's just exciting to see it happen, to see the product, to see the ask come out of our church itself. Um, So, um, I praise God for that. Um, And we're going to begin a four-week series on giving and money in the church. Because I know as soon as I mention money and church and giving, with all of this Roots Initiative stuff, some of y'all are ready to jump ship to the next lifeboat, right? Right? thinking I knew it was only a matter of time before this church followed suit with the other churches and became money-guilty-grabbing church, church, right? Well, I want you to think about it this way, because I feel just as uncomfortable as you do sometimes with talking about money. But the Bible talks about it a lot, and I would skip a lot of Scripture, and we would miss a lot of things about our hearts if we didn't talk about it. Think about it this way. The fact that we are so easily made afraid or wary about the church talking about money may not be an indication of something bad we need to avoid or stay away from or be careful of, but maybe something we need God to bring redemption to. And that is what I hope to offer you from it in this series that we're going to go through. For, for some of us, this will simply be a confirmation of what we already know to be true. For others, it will be a refresher course. And finally, for people a lot of you like me, it will be just another step out of the traps and bondage of financial brokenness. So we're going to start here in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is described as a wisdom book, which oddly enough does not tell us how much about how we should actually or how we should actually give it does something else for us it gives us a candid look at the state of things in this world and when i say candid i mean face value not with all of the religiosity be happy stuff just what does this just you know what does this fallen world say to us and about us in itself without all of the god redemption stuff So in some places, this book is like the grumpy, life-worn old man dashing your young monetary ambitions on the rocks. But it's wisdom, God's wisdom. And so I believe it's designed to actually frustrate us about our world towards needing God's help in Jesus. So I'm going to lay it on thick for us at the beginning of this message. And if you feel offended or bothered by some of the raw observations about work and money and value, then good. You are feeling exactly how I believe the writer of Ecclesiastes wants to wear you down and make you feel so you can finally long for God's redemption. You know why we don't, talk, don't like to talk about money? Why it's so private? Because money, our use and view of it, will talk about us. That's right. It it rats on us. It sells us out. Our view and use of it reveals who we individually and corporately really are and who we really trust and worship and and what our world really thinks about you and me. It shows us where our hearts really are. The author of Ecclesiastes starts here with an in-your-face bad news discovery about money and you and your value in this world. That more often than not, in this world, your value is expressed by how much money you make. The writer hits us almost with a cynical line here in verses 8 and 9. Look, look, look with me here. If you, are, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and a violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by higher, and then, yet, then there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Now, this is kind of a, the way he's kind of describing this is you see a strata, right? You see a stack of classes. You see on the bottom the poor and then someone above that and somebody above that. And at the highest level, you have the king, and by saying that the gain of the land comes from... The, when he does, describes in verse 9 about the gain of the land, he is saying that each one of these strata of classes, each one of these people take their part in the land, in the giving, and the higher you go on in the strata of people is the more money you get. So at the very top is the king... At the very bottom of the poor. And so what he's saying is the gain of the land is, goes directly and corresponds directly with the value of the people. How much you get determines which part of the strata you occupy. He's saying, come on, man, it is clear that your value and worth is determined by how much money you make. And and I would add with this observation, sometimes the money you make is determined by your value in the society. Thus, the idea that the king benefits from the field labor the most, but actually does no labor himself. But look at your paycheck. On Friday, at the end of the month, on the 15th, on the 30th, whatever it is. Ecclesiastes is saying something that is hard to hear, especially if you feel underpaid and unjustly given your wages. Even, and it looks like you're working harder than the guy above you, and the guy above you is getting more money, right? It is saying in this fallen world, look at your paycheck. That's your value to the community. I knew you weren't going to like it. To the world, to the company you work for. And I can't tell you, since I don't know what you all do, or what is the going rate for the services of someone like you, whether that's a fair or unfair wage. But here is something hard to hear but true. Money is an outer working, a product of your person. It comes from the use of your personally most valuable resource, you. Look at the zeros on that check or lack of check. That is you. In the eyes of your world. That's your dignity. That's your honor. That's your blood. That's your sweat in the amount line. Or lack of sweat in the amount line. It can be depressing or liberating. But that little box on the right in this world, that's you. That's what you do. What your effort, your physical body has produced. Or at worth, or or worth, or at least in the minds of someone else above you, worth in some way. And again, if you don't believe this to be true, like the writer of the book has done, take a step back without the frills of some happy-go-lucky, things are going to get brighter for Sod, and you will see in great despair what the writer saw after he took the blinders off. People are treated according to their worth in society. And in economic society, that treatment is, is, and worth is expressed by how much money they make. The writer is saying that, that, that oftentimes that basic dignity items like justice and rights are denied wrongly to those who don't have as much because they are not as valuable as those who have more than them. That there is this oppression. He's talking about something sinful. There is this oppression, this weight on people because there's someone above them who's considered better, more valuable, and thus who make more. These have this hazing game in band, at Clemson. And they called it Banana. Y'all ever heard of Banana? And it would be the freshmen that would get it. I was walking away and someone, in, you know, took my trumpet away from me. I'm like, "Why? Well, thank you for carrying my instrument. I didn't know they were trying to protect the instrument, not me. And someone said, Banana. Someone said, Banana who? Banana Howard. And someone will tackle you, put you on the bottom of the pile, and everybody piles on top of you. You become the banana squash at the bottom. Every time I heard banana, I ran. (laughs) But the writer Ecclesiastes is saying, this world is like banana, right? If you're the lower one, there's always someone on top of you. There's always people piling on top of you, trying to be on top of the stack. And on the very bottom are the poorest, now, let's be honest here, because though I am not a proponent for injustice to the poor, but, but, but the poorer you are, the worse you will be treated. And you'll feel the weight. Now, here's the irony. The poorest feel the weight of those who are trying to make more money on top of them. If you don't believe me, apart from some revitalization plan for the coming gentrification and appeasement of some government promise, program, code, or money that must be spent, why, in the neighborhood in which I used to reside, one of the fragile ones in Charlotte, why did it take 20 minutes for the police to get there for something really bad? And when they did get there, I remember we were in Baltimore. When they did get there, they sent the cripple cop. The cop couldn't walk. He came to the door, lipping, yeah, well, I got a fake leg or something like that. I'm like, look, man. I bet they don't send a cripple cop over at Roland Park down there. But they have the cop. I mean, our, the neighborhood we were in, something happened. It wasn't a big deal. Man, it was the police department, the fire department. They sent three fire trucks. They sent the CSI. They sent everybody. You live in the right neighborhood? My cat's lost. CSI coming. Ladder truck number one, two, three, and four will be at your neighborhood. And man, you know, I, I think about, man, 911 is a joke was a funny, surreal song as I listened to it back in 90s, living hip hop culture in the safety of my one digit address suburban existence. And when I moved in the hood, 911 is a joke was real. What's funny is that we privileged folk let stuff come come out our mouths like, well, those folk down there don't know how to care for what they got. So that's why they don't have nothing. Well, those folk have 40-inch screen TVs and cables, so they're getting what they deserve, bad decisions and such. Don't get so haughty. The only thing that separates you from them, your value from them, has more to do with the zeros on your check or your husband's checks, or, or your buying power more than your core dignity, worth, or better choices. It ain't because, contrary to Christian right, conservative thinking sometimes, or, or prosperity thinking, that you are closer to God. But because you can afford to buy into a better neighborhood or school or social circles of dignity. Because your world honors what you make. King Solomon saying, clean and clearly, in this fallen world, money talks, everything else walks. This is the initial but sad observation of the text here. That's why we don't like talking about money in the church or with friends, or why I don't like y'all looking into my bank account, you know, or asking for help, because you might devalue me. Or I might have the face, the clear facts of my worth, because those zeros just don't lie. The writer is saying this oftentimes unjust exchange rate of value for money and work for money for value is true and has become true because of what? Sinful oppression in this world. That is, disease is screwed up, not only our determined worth of people, but what and why we value what and who we do. Look with me at verse 11, if you will. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So the writer of Ecclesiastes gets into the idea of goods and stuff and their heart value to the person who used their body, their influence, who they are to get money, to get that thing as the writer says, that's good to consume, to to eat, to, to feast their eyes upon. And because there's no end to the production of things and new things, there's always something out there for you to buy. That there's some things out there that will put on your heart, pull on your heart and make you value it and show you who you really are and what you truly long for. This may not be immediately obvious. It's first reading, but Jesus talked about the idea of the eye and the heart, there was this idea that the eyes were the windows of the soul, like, like a two-way mirror. We could look at the reflection in your eyes and, and see what your heart is taking in, what you really are looking at, what you really want. The writer here says, eat, right? To eat what is out there. The stuff you look for, long for, window shop for, and then if you're able to own, to glare upon, is the thing you value, what your heart really wants. It's that feeling you get before you actually eat a meal and you see it on the table. You're just looking at that thing. There's a feast of seeing that's real. There are times when, when, you know, you you, you have something, when you drive up to your house or or you walk up to your car and you're really proud of it, that you just stand and look at it. And it feeds you. It gives you a sense of worth. But it isn't that simple because the heart can't eat stuff, right? Your soul can't eat physical stuff. So the value of that thing or desired lifestyle is actually feeding an unmet, an empty emotional, mental, or spiritual need, a value. And, and here's the funny thing. We don't need to look into your eyes to tell what is unmet in your soul. All we need to do is look at your checkbook or that printout from the bank. Your online spending history. Your debts. For you kids, the Toys R Us magazines. I guess they don't do that. Online looking at the Target toy things. Here's the crazy thing he's saying. That means a couch, a car, a house a dishwasher, a stainless steel, steel or granite, or marble, or leather, or Egyptian cotton, something, or the fast food or really expensive health food receipts piling up somewhere. Believe it or not, maybe you're trying to feed an emotional or spiritual hunger in some place, and money, the way we spend it, tells the tale. We can follow the receipt and deposit trail to your heart, and then to your emptiness, and to your true desire the question I hate and have hated, again, from people when I talk about money problems. Well, Howard, let's look at your budget. Oh, no way. Let's just, well, I I just need a couple dollars. Just, you know, help me. Give me more money. No, let's look at your budget. Please. No. I hate that question. Just write the check, man. I need some mercy. Well, let's look at the budget first. Why? Why do you want to look at the budget first? It ain't working out well. I just need more money. No, you need to look at the budget. Why? That's like looking at me naked. I don't want you to see it. Though on the outside, okay, for you Lord of the Rings people, I might look like Smeagol, right? That's But but you know, but what's his name? Smeagol. Smeagol. <laughs> when you write it, you kind of read it. Okay, Smeagol. So if they look at my money spending, you will see me turn into Gollum because you will see all my precious, right? If you look at someone's bank account, if you look at their budget, you're going to see all their fickle heart really wants. You will see their folly. You will see their foulness, You will see their sin. And I don't want that. And you don't want that. But the gospel and our commitment to giving and gifting, it calls us to. What it calls us to is a golem revealing means by which God tells and shows and reveals and asks things of our money that reveals our values and our insecurities. And you know what what is true about each one of us? Somewhere in the ledger of our spending. There is something you and I are ashamed that we value, that we sin in valuing. Regardless of whether your money sits out in front in your smile or in the back end of your 401k, regardless of whether your money makes your rim spin or makes a neighborhood bump when you go by, or whether it makes the houses flip and the neighborhood prices climb, regardless if it's a once a month nicely done weave, or a $5 latte five times a week, regardless of whether it's Whole Foods or a Quarter Pounder, there is something in the way we spend that says, look at my heart's value, look at who I really am, see my golemness, because where I have put or put my money and my effort is my precious. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here because we will deal with more next week on that. But our spending and getting money also tells us what we don't value. Look at gets lost in verse 8. If you look at it, if we see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice... In righteousness, which gets lost and what we value oftentimes are those unto you. And then in verse 12, sleep is lost in trying to get money. And then in verse 14, it talks about, it reads this way. It says, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And, And I can't break it all down now, but the mention of a son, it is saying that if wealth is all you have left your kid. What haven't you given him that will last? What does your money say about your current values that point to what you and I don't value? Justice and mercy and rights and rest. And for some of us, our own health and family and God, our money tells us this. Whether poor or rich, we have failed to value something we should somewhere and money spending or saving shows where. But beyond what we do or do not value, here is what we may be discovering along with and in the words of the writer. And some of you may be too young and ambitious and righteous to agree, but money and money dealings in this world means suffering and lack of comfort. Look at what the writer says in verse 12 again. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer where they eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Money, stressing over it, trying to figure it out, trying to make it equal your value, trying to make things stretch even it does not give rest it takes our sleep away whether in its getting or keeping or whatever it makes us suffer it makes us fight it makes us confused it makes us angry when people say certain things about finances. We'll get a big argument if we start talking about the way the government spends money. We start talking about welfare and we start talking about this. We start talking about credit card use. And we start talking about how much money you spend on your kids' stuff or, or how much money you buy the house with. You know, go into someone's house and say, hey, how much did this cost? And see what happens. Especially in this community, this is rough. Someone said, ooh, Pastor Brown, you got a BMW. Wow. What's the first thing out of my mouth? It's 10 years old. Because there's some shaky stuff going on. We suffer driving what we drive. We suffer what we don't drive. We we have all this hardship and drama when there's money and wealth and stuff involved. You know, Notorious B.I.G., Y'all know where I'm going, some of you. Biggie Smalls, Big Papa. He loves it when you call him Big Papa, by the way. (laughs) Told us this in this monumental, monumental rap song. More money, more trouble, right? Now, let me help it out. Sometimes no money, lots of trouble, though, right? Okay, he says, I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. Welcome to America, the richest country with the most problems. With all the wealth we have, shouldn't we have it fixed by now? With all the money Christians have, shouldn't we have bought it by now? Shouldn't we have bought the solution by now? All the books we can put out and videos, shouldn't we already have it fixed The writer says this about getting, keeping, managing, and giving money. And I'll lump it all together so we can get through this. In verse 10, it says, The love of it never satisfies, it just addicts. Then 11, it never feeds what's deep within, but you want it. Then in verse 12, it talks about the fact that it makes you not be able to rest. Why? Look at verse 13. We're going to read this. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil, that he may carry it away in his hand. This this also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go out. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Welcome to the world of making money. Money comes and goes. And hard to get and harder to keep. Lots of hours, lots of sacrifice, lots of selling out, lots of putting on the mask, lots of looking the other way in issues of justice and righteousness to keep it going, lots of driving past a poor neighborhood, hardening up our hearts on the way to the office, lots of empty promises, lots of failures and firings and takeovers and layoffs, lots of ring and you-know-what kissing to get to the top, lots of God understands he will forgive me later and I will make it right when I finally get enough to give back and, and do right on the church and on and on and on. Nothing but trouble. More kids who don't see their parents or see them not come through on what they promise. More po- poor folk, more sleepless nights, more cutting corners, and then you die and your mad alienated kid blows it all on 10 years of undergrad or finding themselves when they would have settled on just finding you there at bedtime, right? Or your wife who will outlive you and will marry some guy who will take your insurance policy and all your savings and buy that nice vacation and getaway that you promised but you're too busy to actually follow through with, right? Or you will be left with an empty bed. Yes, granite, stainless steel, and thin, you know, and thin will go out of style and you die. Or it's an empty life because you depended on when, when, when you went looking for gold in the mountains. You, t- you took your life and your dreams and invested them. We, all of us have been in this stuff. We've invested them on the bottom of a pyramid to never climb to the top. Hey, man, we got a deal. You got that cousin who has a plan. You have that friend in 2007 and half of 2008 who said, if you invest here, I promise we're going to skate on top of the bubble before it bursts. Shifting and moving around used to keep the cycle going some of you are the fiber if you will in the filet mignon society to, to be used to give relief to the richer's and proper diets to be the refuse of a society's buffet you are poor and now if that's true thanks a lot wise Ecclesiastes man tell us something we don't know and we don't feel What's up. This is the Bible right here? This is the Bible. They're supposed to tell you something. Biggie told us that. <laughs> we can read Money Magazine and feel that. We can turn on any, any news network and see that. We can see that crazy man, sounding like, like I do up here, talking about money and stocks and going crazy. We can see that. We can go in your home and see some of the arguments. We can see some of y'all doing this over the books. We can see some of y'all doing this as you look past the price or something and get it anyway. We have some choices in the light of this grumpy old man telling us about money. You know, son, money ain't getting you nowhere. You're just going to work hard and stuff and die. That's it. So go on and enjoy it now, Right? Y'all young people, y'all you ain't getting nowhere. Y'all ain't doing nothing different. Same thing we did. Worked hard, died, got all kinds of sicknesses, diseases, killed our families, our marriages, our children. We got a whole lot, but we ain't got nothing to show for it. Here's your choice. We can forget it and move on, eat, and be merry, because tomorrow you die. We can never check our values. They just destroy the fun and just live and hover over the real meaning that God wants us to have here. Unfortunately, that's for many of us are. We're just trying to stay ahead of the curve. I know I am. Man, I feel alive on payday. Alive. <laughs> on the 15th. But on the 13th, I feel like nothing. Why is it that I feel more alive on the 15th than I do on the 14th? when my meaning and value and worth should be in something other than money. We talked about it in our men's group, a group of men I met with, and just this drive to finally make that number in our head. How little worth you feel until you get to that number. How your life doesn't make sense until you make this amount to do these list of things. No matter where you are on the strata, there has to be a place of meaning for each one of us. More than what our paycheck can or cannot buy. We can hover above it. Or we can receive. Now, that's an interesting word when we talk about money. Receive. Receive is a gospel word. It's not a worldly word. Because you can't just receive things you hadn't paid for. When someone offers you something free, we run, right? If someone would say, hey, this is for you. It's free. And they would have run. You run in too, right? Because you think nothing's free. Well, the scripture is saying you must receive what you can't buy or get. Relief and rest from the bloodiness of this money stuff. Look at the picture beginning in verse 18 with me. It says, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment. Oh, how we all would like to live and exist, like verses 18 to the end. The use and view and heart of money in our world says a lot of dead-end things about ourselves, and the writer is saying that the end of the matter is this. We all want and need relief. We need rest in this area of our lives. We need the Lord to help us and show us and provide us love. And the text tells us how this is done by God. Verse 18, recognizing that God has made you to work. And then in verse 19, that all that we have, God has given to us. You have not deserved it, though earned it, right? And then later in verse 18, to be happy in work. And then goes with verse 20, God will keep you happy. This should sound familiar to you Because God's actions and heart towards us and our money issues are the same that we sinfully seek from all that we value in our money. What am I saying? The way to properly value money is realizing and seeing and believing that while you and I value everything else, there is a God that values everything. that works hard to have you, that gives to to you out of his wealth, that that keeps you like you try to keep up with your money. What and how is God going to help us in this area? By giving us his worth to make us his precious. Okay, this may be the strangest journey about how to give that you and I may have ever heard of in a church. Because I don't want to begin or inform you of some giving plan. Tie this or give this and God will bless you. Because let me tell you something. When it comes to money and redemption, those things, and giving freely as God has called you, it is not a plan, it is a person. You see the right use and understanding and relief and rest and having and not having money is giving and giving and keeping is a relationship with God with a listen to the terms: a working, giving, loving, keeping God. And as we learn, we'll learn, it comes through Jesus because Jesus is God's gift to us. He is God's working to earn us. He is God's toil. He is God's burden to save us from the futility of our money and issues in the following world. He is God keeping us and saving us and calling us to be his precious investment and people. Step one in this journey, considering all the mess we have to deal with, Is the ongoing power, the ongoing power in the journey and money and giving in a life, world, and heart that realizes it is strained, broken, and lost, is a relationship with God in Jesus Christ that is offered to give us rest and relief in finances. If you don't know Jesus, if you are not trusting in Him, if you don't believe in a grace of God freely given to you, if we don't begin to lean into the fact that God is gives us the gift of relief and rest and hope in this area of our lives, this journey will feel painful and, and, and terrible to you and condemning. You won't even begin to get there. God's direction in money is not primarily about how to get more money or how to give more money. Or be happy in the money we have, but according to his gift, Jesus, that he is happy, he is content, he is overjoyed, he is able to keep, he's wanting to keep, and has shown his gladness with buying and having us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Where is your value? Where is your hope? Not in your paycheck. Not in your lack of paycheck. But in the fact that Christ paid it all. And paid it forward. To have you. To enjoy you. And for you to find enjoyment and rest and relief and redemption in this screwed up world. Jesus... For us is God's blood money, his blood for the redemption of all our money issues, buying us relief, rest, and redemption. This is our hope in this journey.